Well, good morning. Uh, like Greg said, this is our first Sunday that we are live streaming. So, hello, anybody out there? Um, we waited for as long as we could, <laughs> kind of thinking that we would get back to normal, but it, I guess it's not going to happen. So, um, not anytime soon. So, we're glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, here's what I want you to understand today. Our hope is restored through an empty tomb. He is risen is the only thing that we have the ability to hold on to, to give us what we cannot get ourselves, And that's what I want to do today. Our hope as believers rests in that one truth, that we don't worship an idol, we don't worship a dead man in a closed tomb. We worship a risen Savior. And our joy and our peace and our purpose comes out of that reality. And so if you were here last week, um, great. If you weren't here last week, no big deal. I just want to give you an idea of where we're at today because last week was kind of a lead in today. Um, the disciples who spent all of their time pouring into Jesus, giving themselves to him, giving up their lives, their future, walking away from family members to serve Jesus. All of that ended when he went to the cross. And as we talk about today, this idea of our hope being restored, we have to understand that there has to be something lost for it to be restored. And the disciples are the best picture of anyone of being completely hopeless. Everything that they base their future on went to the cross and died. Let's pray. Jesus, your presence is the only thing that matters. Not anything that I'm going to say today, but what you want to say to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us a measure of hope. To believe that you're not finished with us. That we would trust that you have the capacity to bring change and hope and joy and peace again. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak today. That you would move us to action. And that you would restore hope in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pick today up. Uh, in Luke 24, verse 1. And we're going to look at this idea of an empty tomb through the lens of disciples who are utterly hopeless with hope to restore something that has been lost in us. Starting in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. I think all of us in this room, looking through the lens of the Bibles, the longer you've been a Christian, you think, I would not have done what this disciple did or what that disciple did. 
you, many of us, would think we would have been there. We would have had our drum kit and our guitar, and we would have been ready to worship as that stone rolled away. But let me just tell you, no one was there. There wasn't a celebration. There wasn't people, regardless of how scared they were of being murdered or arrested, there was no one there awaiting a risen king. No one. Even in verse 1, what were they doing? They were taking spices. This wasn't spices. like they had some chamomile tea ready for Jesus to come out of the tomb. These were spices to finish the preparation of the body for his entombment. That's what they were there for. Verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. <laughs> Surprise! He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He told them, we've been in Mark um, for the last probably month. Um, he told them four times just in Mark, I'm going to die. Peter actually rebuked him one time, which is never good. When Jesus starts speaking something to you, it's never wise to tell him he's wrong. Peter didn't even learn that after the rebuke. He still denied him three times. Verse 4, it says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Apparel that was not like anything they had ever seen before. I know we've been spoiled by bejeweling things. You're like, no, we haven't. We don't do that. But there was two men there in dazzling apparel in verse 5. And it says, as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, listen to this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Great question. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day, rise. And I love this in verse 8. And they remembered his words. Verse 10, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and another woman with them who told these things to the apostles. Notice it wasn't the apostles waiting there at the tomb, even hiding behind bushes or rocks somewhere else. They weren't there. We all think we would have been camping out overnight waiting for that stone to break that seal because we know the end of the story. But they weren't. They were hopeless. In verse 11 it says... <clears throat> But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. For three years, they have seen Jesus do things that were no one else had done before. Raise the dead, heal the leper, cast demons out. They had seen his power. They had heard from his own lips, I will return. Though none of them were there waiting for this return. And when women they trusted, who had been with them throughout their whole ministry, one of them was the mother of two of them. And, and what happens when they come and tell that the tomb is empty, that these two angelic figures told us that he has risen? 
They didn't believe. I said this first service, and I'll say this to you now because I think you need to hear it. It's all right to struggle with unbelief. I think sometimes we feel that unbelief is a failure and that God wouldn't want to be anywhere near us because we didn't believe or we failed in this area. And I, I just want you to know, look, the 11 that he handpicked, who he told by his very own mouth, I will return, weren't there to receive him. And they didn't believe it, even when friends of theirs tell him, tell them that he rose. But there was just enough, and this is what I'm hoping for this morning, there was just enough hope in Peter and John to enter into a foot race. That's in another gospel. I'll tell you a little bit about it. But in verse 12, it says, And Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. In another one of the gospels, him and John took off. John was a little bit more fit than Peter. And he won. But he was scared. Wouldn't enter into the tomb. And by the time Peter got there, winded as he was, he went straight in. And he saw the garments. There. Not that if, if you're going to steal a body that is guarded, you don't go in and go, oh, let's, let's unwrap, let's, let's set these things here. You take everything and you run. And he sees the garments that were wrapped around Jesus laying there, even the face shroud. And he still, he went home marveling. He, he's, not, he's not starting church like, we're kind of thinking, he is risen! We'll start the risen Christ church! Peter just went home marveling at what he saw. Verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, hiding in an upper room, as they were talking about these things, because they haven't at this point seen physically Jesus. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were in a locked room. Jesus, hey guys, peace to you. Yes, they were terrified. In verse 37, it says, But they were startled and afraid and thought that they saw a spirit. And Jesus wants to eradicate that thought in their brain, that this is just a ghost of Jesus, that they're seeing an illusion. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you and why did doubts arise in your hearts? Something that he asks us all the time. Why are we doubting his goodness? We we doubt his goodness every day. We willfully decide to do something that we know that we shouldn't do. Because we're like, well, maybe this will give me what I'm looking for, and it doesn't. He's getting ready to show his hands and feet, and it's not in Luke, but in one of the other Gospels, there was Thomas, one of the twelve, who wasn't in this first encounter with Jesus, didn't see him in bodily form when the other disciples told him that they saw Jesus, saw his scars. He tells them in this cocky, arrogant, prideful way, unless I see with my own eyes, I will not believe. And I love, Jesus could have been angry. I think a lot of us would be angry at Thomas. and go, you jerk, you're, out, you're off the team. You're the worst softball player, get off the team. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not out there. 
just for the record. But the next time he comes in, he goes right to Thomas. He said, Thomas, come here. He calls him over, and, and Thomas is broken at this point because he's like, I, I, don't, have, no, I don't have to. No, no, no. Come here. I, I want you to see. I want you to touch the scars on the hand. I want you to put your hand on the side where I was speared. I want you. And then he says this amazing, amazing line. He said, blessed are you for, for believing because of seeing. But blessed are those who believe without seeing, which is us. We have not touched the hands of Jesus, seen his physical resurrected body. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. In verse 39, this is the first encounter. It says, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself. He wants them to understand. This isn't just some crazy illusion that you're seeing. That I'm not a ghost that I am the man, Jesus, that died on the cross and has brought myself back to life. For the Spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you, something, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them because he wants them to understand that this is me. Ghosts don't eat for those that watched the Ghostbusters. We know what happened when they put stuff. Just what I think about. Verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, which they're well aware of. And the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is why Reach was planted in Leland, North Carolina. To proclaim the forgiveness of sins that comes through the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Beginning in Jerusalem, verse 48. It says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Many of us hear good things about God, and we try to replicate those good things that we've heard about God without the power. And I know the Holy Spirit is a little... Uh... But there is no power, there is no movement forward without the Holy Spirit. And he's telling the disciples who up to this point were struggling with everything, even believing that Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. And he tells them, he knows they're not ready. He knows they need to wait. And a few days later, um, in another closed meeting, what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out on them and these scrubs, misfits, the ones that could not get anything right, the ones that were rebuking and denying Jesus, 
were empowered to start a movement that still exists today. And that isn't because of their goodness, isn't because of their amazing sermon ability because they sat under Jesus for all of that time. It was literally because they trusted in the Holy Spirit. They finally surrendered to that. See, he is restoring their lost hope, telling them that it's not over. Many of us lose hope because we look at our own situation right where we're at and we're going, there's no way out of this. There's no way I'm going to change. There's no way this situation is ever going to change. But the reality is, is if you stop the story with the disciples at the cross and your whole view of Christianity was based on that, their hope ended. Their story was over. But our reality, because we see the rest of it, is we understand that their story wasn't over. That they started this movement of people following Jesus, surrendering, giving all. And they gave all. Ten of the eleven that survived after Judas hung himself, ten of them died horrible deaths serving, loving Jesus. He may think, oh, well, I don't want that. They were gladly gave their life. Peter literally would not be crucified like Jesus and was made them crucify him upside down because he didn't feel that he should be honored to die like Jesus died. Because they got the bigger picture that this life, shocker, is not eternity. This, as they say in the epistles, is a light, momentary. It's a vapor. Seems like forever, depending on where you're at in the story. But this isn't forever. This is how and where we get to meet Jesus. And, and, And why is this important? Why is an empty grave important? Because if there wasn't an empty grave, there would be no purpose in listening to anything Jesus said. Because he would be a liar. And if Jesus isn't a liar, then we have to either believe he's crazy or he's the Lord. It's also important because we have this issue called sin. That conversation with my son, he's not in here <laughs> Again, I thought about his first service this week. He's talking about like, so, so a good person, they'd go to hell with all those bad people. It's like, well, what, what makes you good? The illusion is that some of you think you're good because you're better than the worst. Goodness is perfection, and none of us in this room, including the Yahoo with the microphone, isn't perfect fails all the time, needs a Savior because we sin. Jesus took it this far to say that, you know, for those that know the Ten Commandments, you're like, well, I've, I've, I've not murdered anybody or I've not committed adultery or blah, blah, blah. And, and Jesus took it a step further and he said, if you even hate someone in your heart, not even physically do it, not even verbally say it out loud, but if you even hate someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I mean, you already committed murder, and, and, and the same with adultery. It's not even that you have to physically do it. If you even think it, and I can, I can guarantee I'd put every penny that I have in my bank within a lot, 
more than it was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I put every penny on the reality that every single one of us have failed one of those two. And one of those failures eliminates you from being in the presence of God. And the issue that we have is we can't resolve it. We have this we have this lie I believe in the southern culture that as long as our you know there's this weighted scale of sin and and if our goodness exceeds our badness then God will take us. Your goodness will never exceed your badness because you're not even aware of all the wicked evil things that goes on in your minds and hearts. Look at this in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Good people don't go to hell because there are no good people. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus you are once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is not going to come from you. If you could win, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. But because none of us had the capacity to win at this little challenge that we're in, Jesus had to go die and become our sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for our sin. And out of that is where our hope comes from because it is no longer something we have to do. And most of us lose our hope all the time because we fail over and over again trying to succeed on our own instead of surrendering to Jesus and going, I need you daily. And let me just tell you, resurrection shouldn't be celebrated just on this Sunday. You need to live in the reality that resurrection has happened. So tomorrow and next week and in the middle of the summer and in the fall, you need to be waking up in the morning and say to yourself, there is life for me because he has risen. John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he lives. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Whoever believes in me. Look, I'm, I'm not talking about this easy believism. I'm not talking about this, I said a prayer when I was 15. Belief moves us to action. And he, he Jesus told us that we would be known by our fruit and this isn't condemnation to say well i'm not producing fruit so i should i'm not his this is going i need to connect to the vine i need to connect to the source that brings fruit from me i need to trust in him see salvation isn't the end in itself it's the beginning of a lifelong journey of surrendering to jesus That's where our hope is. 
Romans 10, 9. It says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with, and with your mouth one confesses is saved. What happens in here needs to be spoken out loud. What happens inside of us should move us to action. I have not been, um, partly because I don't think it's very successful. I sold cars for six months after I graduated from college, because that's what you do when you get a college degree, go sell cars. And I've never been much on pressuring people to do anything. I don't like to be sold anything. It bothers me. And so I'm not here. You, you could be like, oh, he's leading up to it. Someone's, you know, today's the day. And let me just tell you, I'm not that guy. Because if you make an emotional decision today and the Holy Spirit isn't involved in it, it doesn't matter. Period. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into communion. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I encourage you, to, today, right now, here, here's the beauty. Although this is a rented space, owned by the county, served by a nonprofit to um, uh, serve our seniors in this area, right now, in this moment, the presence of the living God is here in this room. And if you want to get right with God, all you've got to do is have a conversation. You don't have to raise your hand to get saved. You don't have to stand up to get saved. You don't have to do anything to get saved other than have a legitimate conversation with the living God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. If you're not aware of your sinfulness, even as a believer, you're in trouble. I'm aware. If I can use this word, I'm woke. Is that, is that too much? Sorry, that's live streamed and everything. Gosh, ruined a moment. But the reality is that right here in this moment, you can become aware of the living God and you can surrender your life to him. There is not a phrase that you must say. There is just the reality that you are sinful, that you couldn't. You've tried. You've tried to be a good person. And over and over again, you failed. And you believe that Jesus was who he said he is, that he came, lived a sinless life. And not that just that he was a good man, that he was God, because that would be the only sacrifice that would be available to heal us of our disease. And we trust in His finished work and we ask for His assistance, which is the Holy Spirit. And we learn to walk in obedience day in, day out. And that's not meant to be done alone. So we encourage you to get to know someone in this church family if you live here and say, help me. I want to live this life. This little um, COVID-friendly Communion cup. Uh, just for a side note, if if you're gluten, uh, you need a gluten-free thing. This is not gluten-free. We have gluten-free ones. If you need one of those before we start, if you'll raise your hand, Deacon uh, will grab you one. 
uh, and bring it over to you because this one isn't, but those are. They just cost a lot more than these, so we don't want to put them on every chair. Uh, <laughs> that sounds bad. But we love you enough to have them. <laughs> Worth every penny. So th- this right here, although it is nothing special in itself, there's no power in this per se. But there's power in what it represents. And so what I'm going to do, we're, not, we're going to take this individually. So I, I'm, going to, I'm going to describe what this is so we all make sure we're aware of what we're getting ready to get into with communion. We're going to go into worship. And when you're ready, because Paul was very specific, that we should weigh what's going on inside of you. If there's things that you need to confess, confess and repent and consume. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and I would love to have seen the first communion after the resurrection. Because they didn't get it the first time. When he told them, this is my body that was broken for you. Because remember, they weren't there. This is my body that is broken for you. And they broke and took it. And the end of dinner, he poured wine out. And he said, this is my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. As a believer, which this is what these are for, as a believer, this is a reminder that you don't have the power to save yourself. And the reason why we're taking communion today is a reminder that you needed His broken body and shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And as you take it, Allow the Holy Spirit to do in you what you cannot. Commit, continue to remember His goodness to you because this is what He did for you. Just like Megan said, if you were the only one, this isn't for all those other people. This is for you. That Jesus knew going on that cross when He suffered the pain, what you would need. And He is still today saying, for you, my son and daughter, for you, There's life. And the beauty of this is, this, as much as we're not all family members, this makes us family. This is our entrance into God's family, which makes us brothers and sisters. So I'm going to pray for us. Worship is going to start when you're ready, consume. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this time of us remembering your sacrifice, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't uh, diminish the magnitude of what these elements mean for us. I pray that in this moment, that we would know you and worship you better because we're reminded of the sacrifice that you made for us. And for those in this room that are struggling with the reality that you would love them, Lord, I pray that you would wash over Lord, that your presence, your mercy would let them experience in this moment how great you are and how willing you are to receive those that are broken. Lord, restore our hope this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.